We Americans have an odd relationship with the Bible. On the one hand, studies show that the number of people who view it to be a sacred text is decreasing. On the other hand, uh, on the whole, studies show that the American society, the American populace, does nonetheless view the Bible with a pos- in a positive light. Uh, th- that said, being pro-Bible hardly transfers uh, necessarily into regular use and reading. Uh, recent studies that were done, polls that were done, uh, show that only 37% of the American populace reads the Bible one or more times a week. Only 37%. And of that 37%, which is not a very big number, only one or more times a week, okay? Of that 37%, only 57% reads it and stops to reflect on the significance and the application that it might have in their day-to-day lives. Uh, George Barna, the pollster, put it this way at the end of the study that was done. He said, while the Bible's place in America as a cultural icon endures, it's not always perceived as a transformative text. Even as Bible ownership remains strong, readership and engagement are weak. Okay, now you're thinking to yourself, but that's everybody else. I, I, I don't have that, that problem. I don't have a, a low view, a, a denigrated Um, impoverished view of of the Bible. Hold on. We we may more than we think. And uh, God in His mercy uh, to us speaks to this very point in His Word to raise up our eyes again and again and again to see what the the rich treasure, the rich treasure indeed that we have in His Word. Um, So if you have your Bible with you, uh, whether that's a digital version or a printed version, go ahead and turn with me now to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Uh, this is a, a series of T's in the New Testament. Um, after 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you find 1 and 2 Timothy, which is then followed by Titus. So you see a slew of T's there. These are, those are all some of the shorter letters uh, that Paul wrote that we find there in the New Testament. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. Philemon, Hebrews, we're in 2 Timothy. Um, this is a, as a follow-up, this, this uh, message is something of a follow-up to last week's as we were looking there in Psalm 119, that, that little brief portion that we looked at together. Uh, again, uh, this is really being born out of the, the birth of this new ministry here at CPC, the GROW teams, which is directly connected to uh, even what Stephen was praying over just a little while ago, that second clause in our vision statement. Uh, we are a, a worshiping body of believers, that's the first clause, uh, grounded in God's Word. And that's what that ministry is about. And uh, I want to reflect on that with you just for a little bit here this morning. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10, reading on down through verse 17, uh, really especially uh, those last few verses at the end of the reading, but I do want to start uh, at verse 10. So hear now God's word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, 
at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Lord, wherever we are here this morning, uh, in our hearts, in our minds, in that which comes to our hearts and minds as the topic of the Bible, the Scriptures, um, Old and New Testament, and their role, their place, their value um, in our lives, wherever we are here this morning, whether it's something of a, of a blank slate, uh, not really sure, uh, open, glad to hear, um, or perhaps we're well on our way and we've thought about this a lot and, and what we've just read are familiar words and we're glad to be reaffirmed in, in those things, or maybe this morning we're just a bit jaded, maybe a little skeptical, um, maybe a little uh, cynical, uh, maybe we're somewhere in the mix on that spectrum and just just wondering, just uh, uh, buffeted, pummeled within and without by questions and, and doubts and, and just wondering, just wondering and searching these things out. Wherever we are, you know. You know, and you have us here. We can be bold to say you have us here this morning for a reason. And so we ask that you would meet us and speak to our, our hearts through your word. Through your word, we pray, by your spirit, and in the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Antique Roadshow. Antique Roadshow is a PBS program that has been uh, on the air for quite some number of years. Actually, the American version uh, is a copy of the British version, in case you didn't know that. Um, it's a, a successful uh, show that's been doing quite well for quite some number of years with its uh, formula, I guess. The formula basically being that the, the team, the, pro the production team, travels around the country from city to city. Uh, they then tape. Do they tape? Does anybody tape anything? They record. They, they record uh, the, the show. They, they, of course, promote it before they land there in a particular city, encouraging uh, owners of varying kinds of, of antiques to show up and then present their, their wares uh, to the experts that then can give an, an appraisal of some kind. And sometimes, and this is, of course, what the viewers are hanging on the edge of their seat for, sometimes a surprising, maybe even shocking appraisal is, is made. One case in particular, I, I looked this up uh, this past week, three years ago, there was a guy um, I'm not sure what the connection was. He was looking for a violin for his wife, and for some reason then he's looking in the trash can. I don't know what the connection is. But anyway, he finds the violin in a trash can. Okay, And for some reason, maybe just for the heck of it, he takes it in to Antique Roadshow. Right? And he is in for the surprise of his life. 
because it turns out that this thing is, is, is far more of a fine than he could possibly have imagined. The appraiser takes a look at it and begins to kind of scrape away on it, and he tells him that this thing was made by Giuseppe Pedrazzini, a famous Italian violin maker who died back mid-20th century, and this is what the appraiser says. After it's cleaned up and put in good condition, it would have a value of about $50,000. That's not bad. That's not bad. Let's do some dumpster diving this afternoon. That's not bad, you know, for moving from trash, just, you know, ridiculous, just trash to treasure. All right, where is that connection with our text? Let me tell you. Um, our text, we've just read from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, some of you may know, is the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, this is mid-late 60s, first century. Uh, he is in prison in Rome. He is awaiting execution. And from what we know, in fact, he was later beheaded soon after the, the writing of, of this letter. He is writing as a spiritual father to a spiritual son, to his spiritual protege, Timothy, preparing the young man for what lies ahead the challenges of what lies ahead. And the question then is, is you know, kind of lying out, laying out there, how will this young man uh, resist the opponents that he is already facing and will continue to face the opponents of the gospel? How will he uh, remain faithful in the midst of this, this battle that he is going to be facing? And part of the answer that, that Paul is laying out here before Timothy, here in 2 Timothy, in particular chapter 3, is... By holding fast, by standing firm, and recognizing the treasure that he has, that we have, that the church has in the Scriptures. The Bible is unlike any other book and should be received accordingly. That's basically the essence of what we see here. Uh, what, what, what Paul is trying to communicate here to Timothy. The Bible is unlike any other book and should then be received accordingly. And you see that especially coming out in two ways. One, when you consider the origin of the Bible, the Scriptures, the origin, and then also its purpose. Its purpose, unlike in both scores, unlike any other book. Let's look at this in, in turn. First, the origin of the Scriptures. Where is it from, if I can put it that way? Where does it come from? How do we come to have it? Verse 16. Uh, Paul writes uh, here for us, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is a, a Greek word, theopneustos, that's your Greek uh, lesson for the day. Theopneustos, translated God-breathed or breathed out by God. Um, it is an extraordinarily unique word uh, given the fact that Greek scholars going way back into antiquity, can't find it used anywhere else. And I don't just mean anywhere else in the Bible, I mean anywhere else in antiquity. No one has found that word used anywhere else. Odds are pretty good Paul coined it. So I feel like I'm in really good company because my wife and my dear sweet daughter, they're telling me all the time, you made that word up. <laughs> I probably did. And I'll probably do it again in the next 15 minutes. But uh, Paul apparently coined this. It's a unique word because of it, it's connoting a, a, a unique idea. And that is of a, of a double authorship. 
The, the image that he's trying to convey is as just as we, when we speak, expel breath. It's just the same here. When God spoke, He, if you will, breathed out the Scriptures themselves. Double authorship. On the one hand, it's in a way you can say it's man's word. In that, you know, in this case, Paul, it's his thinking, it's his planning, it's his artistry, it's his uh, priorities, it's his personality coming out here. On the one hand, but on the other hand, God is 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 prompting him through the Holy Spirit, prompting, enlightening, superintending the entire process, so that while Paul might be the secondary author. God is standing behind him as the primary author. This is an astonishing thing that we're talking about here. Theopnostos. It's an absolutely astonishing thing. And, and it's a mystery. It's a miracle is what we're really, we have here before us. Um, so much so that some clarifiers are, are warranted. Um, I want to just throw a few out here for you. It is not that God breathed into pre-existing texts. That's not what this is saying. Nor is it saying he just breathed into these authors and they produced something. They weren't inspired. And that, that's not what it means either. He's, Paul is saying God breathed and the result is the Scriptures. He breathed them out. He, he, this is his speaking. His, his, his speaking. And somehow, miraculously, mysteriously, the human author's humanity is preserved in the process. It's, it's not a mechanical dictation where their consciousness and awareness is somehow suspended and then at the end of the writing, oop, and they wake up and there it is. That's not what's being described here. The, the, the humanity of the human writer is, is somehow preserved. It's not as though their personality and or again their artistry or or the context or their concerns were somehow being nullified but it's yet at the same time god speaking through the holy spirit working in and through the writer such that let me say this no more and no less than what god wanted to be written is written it is exactly what god the holy spirit wanted them to write no more and no less. So where does this come from? Paul's not actually explaining it here. He's just telling us. I'm just telling you. It's theopnostos. We can no more explain that than we can the Incarnation. Right? Just a couple months ago, Christmas, the celebration, the observation of Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God Himself taking on flesh. And somehow, at the same time, not one or the other, but somehow both at the same time, He is fully God and fully man. Not one or the other, but both. And that's what this is. Somehow at the same time, it is man's Word, but it is God's Word. It is God's Word, and we've got to receive it in that way. And what the some of the implications of that would be, I'll give you two. Uh, one would be we can stand upon them, the Scriptures. We can stand upon them because they are without error. They are, they are infallible. They are inerrant. They are completely true and completely trustworthy. 
They are steady. They are firm. They are sure. They're, they're, they're going to hold when we put the full weight of our lives upon them. They're going to hold, which then means that's the answers that we need to the deep questions that we have in, in life. And, and rightly so, every human being asking, why am I here? What is this life about? Where did we come from? What's wrong with this world? How is it going to be ever made right? And how should I live? You have it. The answers to all those questions here because it is sure, it is steady, it is, it is true, because it is God's Word. But it's not just that. It's not just that we can stand upon them because they're trustworthy and true. Because also because it is God's Word, we must stand under it. Because it is God's Word and therefore it is with, spoken with divine authority. We, have to, we can stand upon it. We must stand under it and bow humbly before what He says. Which means then that's the answers. That's where we have to go in the course of debates about sexuality and gender and justice and mercy. It's where we have to go when we're wrestling and struggling with questions regarding our, our relationships one with another and our fears and our worries and the temptations and the guilt we feel and all of that stuff. That's where we have to go. This is where we have to go because this is God's Word. Theopnostos. Theopnostos. What are the implications of that? all that? The Bible is unlike any other book and it has to be received accordingly. So, that's a little bit there. That's, you know, its origin, where it's from. But there's also something to be said regarding its purpose, what it's for. And we see that, uh, at least a twofold, at least a twofold purpose here just in this passage. Back up with me to verses 14 and 15. Um, it's the last part of verse 15 I want to read, but verses 14 and, and 15, mid-flow, we're kind of coming to this in the midst of some contrast that Paul is drawing here. There are at least two stark ones here in this larger text we read earlier. The second contrast he's drawing, it starts in verse 14. But, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which, here we go, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is speaking here, uh, about the, the purpose, the, how the, the Scriptures can make us wise for salvation. In contrast to a theme that is interwoven throughout this letter, that is to say the fruit, the bitter fruit of false teaching of heresy. And what it inevitably brings into our, our lives. Jealousy and backbiting and division and scandals and heresy. That's the inevitable bitter fruit of false teaching, and Paul is saying, no, in the Scriptures, are in they are the truth, they're in line with the truth, and because of that, they make us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, Old Testament, New Testament, the sole hope that is held out for us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's what he's saying here. The Scriptures, part of the role, part of the purpose of the Scriptures is to save us. To make us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. But not just that, and this would be at least the second role here, and that would be to sanctify us. That is to say, not just to bring us to Christ, but then to make us more like Christ. And this is where you see verses 16 and 17 coming into play. All Scripture is 
breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Paul says that the, the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, the, the sacred writings, as he says there in verse 15, are profitable. That is to say, they are useful. They are valuable in a twofold sense. And I'm going to throw these two words out. He didn't say this, but I'm just you know, trying to organize this. Profitable, useful, valuable in terms of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy, that is to say, uh, right belief, true belief, right doctrine, right understanding. And that's what you have there, profitable for teaching and for reproof. That's what that's alluding to there. So it's profitable, useful, valuable for orthodoxy, but also orthopraxy, that is to say, right living, right practice, in the sense of profitable, useful, uh, valuable for correction and for training in righteousness. The Scriptures are profitable, useful, valuable in those two ways, and because they are profitable, useful, valuable in those two ways, they therein, you keep reading through verse 17, are effective to mature us, to complete us, to make us more like He intended us, created us to be, more like Jesus, thoroughly equipping uh, rightly fitting us for whatever it is that God has, the works that God has in store for us. That's the role of the Scriptures, at least partly, to save and to sanctify. So again, you know, what, what, what is you know, the question? What's the purpose? What's, you have the origin. What's the purpose? What are they there for? Why were they given? To save us, to sanctify us, to bring us to Jesus, to make us more like Jesus, which is why we must be turning to them all the time. Firstly and, okay, I'm making up the word, foremostly. I can't help myself. Um, okay, you may have heard there's a game being played later today. Did you hear that? It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So I'm going to use, a, here's your football analogy. Uh, January, um, what's the date? January 8th, 2000. I may have used this analogy a few years ago. January 8th, 2000, Tennessee Titans, this is down in, ten, down in, in Nashville, Tennessee Titans and the Buffalo Bills wildcard playoff game the Music City Miracle. Okay? The Buffalo Bills score a field goal, go-ahead field goal. They're with 16 seconds left. They're now winning 16 to 15. On the ensuing kickoff, Frank Wycheck receives the, he ends up with a ends up with the ball. He throws a pass across the field to Kevin Dyson who then takes that ball and runs down the sideline 75 yards to score the touchdown. The crowd goes bananas. But here's the problem. Was that a forward pass, which would be illegal, on a kickoff, or was it a lateral pass? Which one was it? There's a lot at stake. Now, the fans that's being played in, in Nashville, you know where they're saying the call should be. But the officials, who do they consult do they take a poll there in Nashville to, to determine what's the right call to make? There's a lot at stake here. It's a playoff game, you know. The Titans did go on to play in the Super Bowl a few weeks later because they, spoiler alert, won that game. Uh, the, the officials, how do, you, how do you make the call? You look at film, the instant replay, and you consult the rules. Period. And that's how you know. How do we know? 
Where do we go? Do we just pull the fan base? I hope not. Where do we turn? First and foremost, it's got to be to this Theopnostos Scriptures. The sacred writings as we find here in, in the Bible. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that other disciplines, other areas of study have nothing to say. I'm not saying that we don't have much to learn from other voices in the conversation. In fact, younger folks especially, let me speak to you right now. We have much cause and reason to pour ourselves into the studies of biology, sociology, anthropology, whatever you fill in the blank. And we have much to learn from all those disciplines. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that's part of a being obedient to God is pursuing those callings and those studies. That said, the lens through which we take and absorb all the, that data the lens through which we come to see and see clearly and see truly is this. Theopnostos. God's breathed out Word. That's how we can know. That's how we can be sure. Now, I know I'm breaking all kinds of homiletic rules. That's not a made-up word. That means study of preaching. So there you go. Um, I know I'm breaking all kinds of rules about what I'm about to do here, but I'm going to end a sermon on one text by reading another text because I think it makes a point. Psalm 19. So turn with me to Psalm 19. I want you to think with me. If, if indeed the Bible is unlike any other book and ought to be received accordingly, if indeed that premise and conclusion is true, if indeed the Bible is unlike any other book because of its origin and because of its purpose and therein ought to be received, accepted, like any other, unlike any other book according to what it is, how would we respond if it was taken away from us? How would we respond if we lost it? Do we know what we have? David tells us, moving from Paul's epistle to David's poetry, listen to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. The Bible is unlike any other book should be received accordingly. May it be so in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank You for this mystery, this miracle that we have here in the pages of the Scriptures, Theopnostos, the answers, the trustworthy answers that we can stand upon and know that they are true and real. Uh, not, not just a bunch of opinion or, or one more option among many. We must stand under it as authoritative, as Your Word. So whether we are thinking in terms of the Grow Team ministry or our Sunday morning classes or the Bible studies and community groups that meet over the course of the month or our daily, what ought to be, daily time in Your Word, we pray that You would make us people of the book. And gladly so. 
unashamedly, unabashedly so, people of the book, because we know from whom it has come and what it is for. In your name we pray. Amen.